Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. The Football, the football podcast. podcast. Hello, we are back. Welcome to another episode of Game of Thrones. Um, over the last few weeks, we've had all kinds of technical problems, but we're back. We're here now, and we've got a packed episode coming to you tonight. Um, I'm, jo- I'm joined this evening by Phil. Hi, Phil. How are you doing, man? Hey, mate. Doing fine. Glad to be back. Start of a new decade. And yeah, looking forward to a million episodes until 2030. Indeed. And I'm also joined this evening by Alvaro Rakova's brother, our very own Davide. Hello, mate. Hello everyone, uh, uh, Phil, did you make the count that we can arrive a million episodes by 2030 or you just... Uh, yeah, I'm super quick at math. Shot a number. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's, it's, it's a Mourinho-like calculation, you know? Ah, okay, oh, okay, fair point. Who is, who is the special one here? We'll leave the audience to decide that one. <laughs> I prefer to be more like the normal one. <laughs> I am the Norwegian one, or maybe not. We'll see. Anyway, um, to start this evening, um, we, as you know, us at Game of Thrones, we like to uh, advertise charities and do our bit to raise money for the less fortunate in society. And this evening, it's my turn. Um, in just 16 days' time, I shall be doing a sleep out at my local football team, Exeter City, in aid of Julian House, which is a local homeless charity, doing great work here in Exeter, um, to help homeless people with shelter and food and getting them into accommodation off the streets. And we're gonna post a link when we post the links for the episodes. So if you can donate just, just a small amount to that, that would mean a lot to that would mean a lot to me because homelessness is something that shouldn't exist in twenty twenty at the start of this new decade. So just whatever you can, a couple of quid um, for this great charity would be absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much. The game of 2019. To start this evening, um, we're going to do the Game of Thrones Awards for 2019. I have something to add. I actually have something to add. Go ahead. There is, yeah, to all of our audience, you can also take part in the sleep out as well. And I think there might be a little space in Jack's sleeping bag. So you can have (laughs) your Game of Thrones, um, um, let's say, live experience. Phil, we need, we should advertise uh, the charity, not scare people and uh, tell them uh, that, that as long as you shower, jacks. as long as you shower beforehand, it's all good with me. I actually have to tell the audience, uh, changing the subject a little bit, I have to tell the audience that we actually recorded an episode last week. I don't know, Jeff, has it? I must have missed that. But the audio quality was so bad. And the moral of the story, ladies and gentlemen, is to not record a podcast sitting on your bed. It's and entirely... I have to add uh, one thing. Uh, it's not that the audio quality was bad. Your audio quality My was bad. My audio quality was bad. <laughs> which is why we have been away for so long. And for that, I apologize. Because... That was also very Mourinho-like, just blaming one person. <laughs> I, I hope you've missed us because it's going to be 45 minutes of this. So to start the football talk this evening, if you guys are quite finished, um, we're going to do the Game of Thrones Football Awards for 2019. And Phil, over to you. The Game of 2019. Uh, yes, mate. As we already actually did in length last week, uh, we will do a short version. This week we picked... I think it's seven categories for our Game of Thrones awards, or as we like to call it, the Rory, um, named of our favorite throw-in expert, Rory the Lab. And yeah, let's just get started with goal of the year. I will let you guys tell me your nominees first, uh, Jackie Boy. I went for um, a women's, a golden women's football. Actually, women's football, of course, has taken on. A new dimension this year with the very successful Women's World Cup. Billy Simpson for Sion Swift's Ladies in Ireland. Um, absolutely fantastic goal. Uh, the keeper cleared it and she just hit it on the volley from 50 yards. If you can think of Dejan Stankovic against Schalke in the 2011, 2011 Champions League. Similar to that. It was a great technique, great strike and that was my nomination. 
Davide. I went for Luis Muriel in a 3-3 match between uh, Fiorentina and Sampdoria played last January, in which uh, Muriel within the midfield uh, dribbled two players uh, and went uh, alone to score a a goal uh, uh, Luis Nazario da Lima style. That that was insane, insane, an insane goal. Definitely the best goal of last uh, Serie A. Okay, and my nominee was uh, Jungmin Son and his unbelievable dribbling against Burnley in the Premier League when he started at his own box and managed to finish at an astonishing pace after after speeding past, I think, five or six players at the end. It was unbelievable run. Um, one of the best goals I have seen actually in the past decade, to be honest. And yeah, the Rory for goal of the year goes to... Jung Min Son. Woohoo! Woo! Okay, moving on to the next category to keep it short and simple. Um, match of the year. Um, actually, my nominee was Liverpool Barcelona uh, Champions League semi final, second leg, the famous comeback of 4 uh, 0. Um, Jackie Boy, uh, which one was yours? Uh, well, I can, I can obviously agree with that one, but I went with something different. I went for the quarterfinal, um, Man City against Tottenham. It's just a crazy game, especially the second leg, 4 uh, 3, and City having a winning goal ruled out in the last minute by VAR. Absolutely crazy stuff. And I missed the first 20 minutes, so I had to nominate that one. Davide, I heard you can hear me again because we still have technical difficulties. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But we will keep that. I won't cut that out. Um, This is is kind of um, experience as well. No, Um, Davide, what was your uh, nominee for uh, match of the year? Well, definitely Liverpool versus Barcelona. That that comeback was uh, epic. Just, just insane. It it was insane to see the the Liverpool players convinced that they could do it. They could uh, overturn a three 0 defeat in the first leg of uh, of a Champions League semi final. That was insane, and that was the, my match of the year. Definitely, definitely for me too. And this is why. The Rory for match of the year goes to... It goes to Liverpool versus Barcelona. (laughs) Moving on to manager of the year. I won't ask you for your nominees because we were all um, on the same page here and we all said it's Jurgen Klopp. And I think it's well-deserved after transforming Liverpool into maybe the best side in European football at the moment. Honourable mention. I'd like to... Honourable mention, yes. yes. Honourable mention. Which one, and it, it's well-deserved. Uh, Chris Wilder for Sheffield United, bringing Sheffield United up to the Premier League yes. after, I think, yep. an eight- or nine-year absence. Absolutely. And they're playing great football, and they are currently, I think, sixth in the table, just a couple of points behind Manchester United. And they're just, if you can have a dream promotion season, Sheffield United are living it right now. And congratulations to Chris, Chris Wilder, who has done a fabulous job there. Honourable mention, but yeah, I have to agree. Unfortunately, Jurgen Klopp. Absolutely. Um, and Chris Wilder is one of their own. So means very much to Sheffield and um, definitely an honourable mention here. But moving on to actually not being successful to fail of the year and this time uh, I want your nominees again this time I'm going first for Davide yes my fail of the year comes from the second bottom tier of Italian football the match uh, the probably the match of the century was between Maratea and Virtus Labranico in uh, in Basilicata, in the Italian region of Basilicata, and oh yeah, I watched that one. Do you even know? Do you even know those towns? I don't. I don't even think uh, Labronico is a town. I think it's the name of the <laughs> of the, the saint or something like that. Anyway, 
this the fail of the year for me is uh, the one uh, done by Ebrima Nije, an African refugee that playing uh, that's playing uh, currently football in Italy with uh, quite low results. I have to say, sorry for him, but yeah, there was a counter attack. The defense uh, launched the ball long. Two defenders missed it. He got it, uh, touched. Uh, I have no idea how. Went to the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper missed it too. So he was in front of the open goal. He shot. The ball went on the on the crossbar. It came back. He headed the ball out. That was brilliant, brilliant. Now, as soon as you finish listening to the podcast, go to YouTube and watch that because it's absolutely fantastic. Yes, indeed. That was a hilarious miss and uh, one to watch definitely uh, on all the online platforms like YouTube. Jack, what's your fail of the year? Well, I thought long and hard about this and I picked out a player. Um, Newcastle United have scored something like 10 goals from defenders this season and they've had to because their big money striker signed this summer, Joe Linton, um, has been absolutely abysmal. Up until this weekend, he had only scored one goal. Um, he's now on, I think he scored twice against Rochdale in the cup. Um, so he's now on three, but he has just looked... We, we've seen it so many times over the years in the Premier League where players who've had a bit of success in, in other countries come to the Premier League and just can't fit in the likes of Haller at West Ham right now who is starting to pick up a bit with David Moyes. Um, but before, just couldn't hit a barn door. Yeah, it, hopefully for Newcastle fans, for our fellow podcaster Eric, he improves. But he's been my fan of the season um, so far. And as we're touching on transfers later today, um, how how much how much was it um, that Newcastle paid for him to Hoffenheim? I think it was a, uh, about forty million, something like that. Wow. Okay, so that's the market today, but we will touch on that later. Yeah, we're moving on to the next category, which is podcast of the year. Actually, we picked um, three very different podcasts that neither of us is listening to the other ones. <laughs> so we tried um, to agree on one. It was very obvious that one of the most funniest persons in the British game and British media in the last years after retirement has won our Rory for podcast of the year and that's Peter Crouch for the Peter Crouch podcast. Crouchy, congrats to you. He's big, he's red, his feet stick out the bed. And we have one more category, which is actually tweet of the year. All of us agreed that the audience should pick the winner, but of course you should still listen and see the nominees then online. So, uh, Davide, what was your nominee again? Well, I went for Bernardo Silva's tweet with uh, with Mendy. That wasn't necessarily the most uh, beautiful or funny tweet, but I think uh, it was uh, a sign of the of the times. It was a uh, really important uh, because banter between friends uh, has been transformed in a racist uh, case which i think it's I, I, it's too much i mean racism is an important uh, um, thread these days but we should be able to to understand what is uh, racism from uh, what is just banter between friends so i went for bernardo silva's tweet yes definitely um good pick jack what's yours um my tweet of the year um, isn't actually one single tweet because a lot of the tweets that me and Phil picked out aren't really appropriate for this podcast. Um, we all know <laughs> yes, indeed. that we all know that football Twitter has a, a dark humor side of which me and Phil are, are, are both partial to a bit of dark humor. So I'll let you go and see those for yourself. But I picked out one player's Twitter account in particular. Um, and we've just touched on him. Uh, Benjamin Mendy. I think my favorite tweet of his was um, in the changing room after City had won the the Carabao Cup against Arsenal, I think. And you you can't see... Because, obviously, Mendy is black. And 
you can't really see him in the background because he's so dark and the room is quite dark and he said he he's so he's able to have a laugh at himself and he says something like who turned out the lights where am i or something like that and uh i just think it's great that f footballers don't take themselves too seriously that they can laugh at themselves and mendy always gives me a laugh when i see him on twitter so mendy is my is my nominee for tweet tweeter of the year okay um and my nominee was the man who just won the last category peter crouch when he was posting a picture of himself making a, a long long lunge with his super long skinny legs as we all know them and love him um to try to go for the ball and he made a comparison at the other side of his picture with a, uh, I think it's a trophy for any kind of player of the year. It's not the PFA Players Player of the Year. Uh, it could be the Football Writers Association. I don't know. But it's one of the football prizes of the year in England. And it's actually the same scene. You're seeing small, small figures with long, long, thin legs. And one is doing a huge lunge for the ball as well. So it, it, it almost mirrors that that scene from from peter crouch playing for stoke and that was super funny and um in his tweet he just uh thanked them for picking him to being the trophy um which shows how how funny that that guy is and why everybody is loving him at the moment and yeah we will post all three tweets on our social media and let you the audience pick the winner yeah we will move along now so Back to you, Jackie. The game of the decade. Okay, um, moving along now, we're going to take a bit more of a, a short global look at the highlights of the decade. Um, there have been so many special moments this decade, and we've all kind of picked our favourites. Um, Phil, what was the what was the defining moment, or even the match of the decade for you? Difficult to pick, and I think um, we had our. Um, Best, best matches of the decade on our Christmas episode, but I would still, I think, go for, on international level, definitely Germany, Brazil. That sent shockwaves through the world. And on club level, I would still say it's Barcelona's comeback against um, PSG. But the most defining moment, I think, in Premier League history in the last 10 years no. has definitely no. been... No, don't say it! Not listening. Not listening. Moment. Not listening. Not listening. I don't know who that is. It must sounds like an Argentinian ice cream company or something, but I don't definitely don't know a footballer called Aguero. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely a Martin Tyler classic now, along with uh, one or two other famous shout outs from him. But I think this one even became the most famous one for him as well. And it's a defining moment and it, it started cities cities huge run to to glory which hasn't finished yet as they didn't win the champions league so far so i think it will stay that way for another couple of seasons maybe and we will see but i think that was a super defining moment i i i have to agree and this memory is so painful for me that I can remember Martin Tyler's exact commentary um, for the goal. So if you're listening at home, I shall try and recreate the moment. Manchester City still alive here. Balotelli. Aguero! I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. And that's when I was on the floor crying my eyes out. And I never, ever... I never, ever want to speak of this moment ever again. The case is closed. Aguero wins moment of the decade. Congratulations. But I would like to forget all about this horrific moment now. Thank you. You've got 10 years of, of uh, insuccesses for your match, for your team uh, to, uh, to forget about that. Indeed. Nice recreation of words, but uh, now we know why you're not a commentator. Well, I, was, I can commentate myself, but I can't impersonate other commentators, you know? Unless it's a, a what, how do you come? How do you commentate yourself now? McArdle's on the ball. Oh, he's doing so well. Oh, look at that left pack. Oh my God, what a guy! Is that the kind of commentating you do when you go out and play football? I mean, I can I can do the classic South American <laughs> goal. 
on, I can do that all day long. Nah, there's there's not enough punch in your voice. You're not letting go. I can I hear that because I can scream as loud as you can't imagine. Yeah, but I, I, I have housemates. I have to consider them, you know? <laughs> it's not. I'm not saying I will do it now as well, but uh, <laughs> you should, you know, if you're doing a commentary and you want to brag here, mate, you know, you really had to rip like Martin does. But to me... We're going to do that later in the top 11. But to me, actually, the best commentator, the most legendary commentator of, of English football of all time is Martin Tyler. And he, he deserves huge credit for that moment as well. Same as the Gerrard goal against Olympiakos in the 2005 Champions League that was got more and more famous because of Martin Tyler and Andy Gray's reaction. But to me, the master of the craft is Peter Drury. Definitely. Are you thinking of the Roma goal against Barcelona? Yeah, Roma have risen from their ruins. Yeah. I mean, at the poetry he uses spontaneously in moments, it makes me want to cry. He's, and, and, and his emotion is... A lot of commentators, as I already said, are... Uh, very fake in their emotion and you can hear that what but with peter drury it's spontaneous and it's it's it comes from the heart you can hear that and his poetry adding to that is is an awesome experience and i think he made a lot of goals that maybe weren't as special even more special with his commentary so um to me he he's absolutely the master of the craft mm. Definitely. Um, finally, on this on the matches of the decade, uh, I'm going to um, my match of the decade was the playoff semi final, and I believe it was 2011. Um, Watford three, Leicester one. Uh, the ending of this game, Watford two one up, um, and if Leicester Leicester got a penalty from a dive from uh, from Knockart, and if Leicester had scored the penalty, it would have sent them to the playoff final at Wembley. Knockart. Um, Knockout's penalty was saved by Manuel Amunier, of course, formerly of um, Arsenal. A double save. And the ball was up the other end within six seconds. And Troy Deeney, Watford legend, um, scored a half volley and jumped into the crowd. And it was just the craziest end to a game you've ever seen, except maybe that Barca PSG game. But that's my nomination for, for match of the decade. We're going to move along now. And, of course, we were... I think... Go, go. I think honorable mentions. I think we can make some honorable mentions. What what was happening in the last decade, maybe? Um, I would say financial situations in football changed even more dramatically for the so-called smaller clubs. We have seen that in Leighton Orient, in Blackpool, um, and now in Bolton and Bury. I think it's a very worrying development at the moment. Yeah, I think that's that's really important. And I think we have talked about racism and football enough and we will need to do that. I, I think I sadly think even more in the in the coming year, maybe. But VAR and technical changes in the in the game, I think, were very important in the last decade, as well as tactical changes going from Tiki Taka is the best solution for all of football then gegenpressing of Jurgen Klopp was the ultimate tactical choice and now we have seen a lot of teams even developing those styles a little bit for themselves and uh, Jurgen Klopp even um, developing his own style so uh, that plus the rise of the women's game and the women's world cup needs to be mentioned here i think those are um, very honorable mentions mm. uh, i like what you said about the the wealth in football i think football in so many ways mirrors society and that the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting even poorer and, and struggling even more as we said with bolton and bury so hopefully we can see steps in this decade to eradicate the bad things that we've talked about the racism the the clubs going going broke and let's hopefully see uh, a fairer and more equal game um, in the decade to come yeah I'm not so I'm not so optimistic honestly uh, I think 
things will change when uh, the big names will start uh, uh, losing money. Either a big team uh, going uh, going bankrupt. It's uh, recent news. Uh, just just before uh, starting recording, I sent uh, to the guys uh, an article saying that KPMG uh, analyzed the the, um, the current account of the of Juventus, and they say they are not into the financial fair play uh, parameters. A big team going bankrupt can happen in the next uh, ten years, but I think the the most uh, possible scenario is that normal people will start abandoning football if if it keeps being the sport of racists and racist uh, racism keeps being uh, tolerated by by authorities i think uh, this will lead to uh to important leagues losing money and then it will, will be the moment in which they will start tackling the, the problem because if they don't lose money, if big names don't lose money, they are not interested in uh, in tackling the problem. That's what happens in uh, in these times. Well, as we're entering um, um, a bit of a darker time again in our society, we can only try to be positive and look ahead and try to get those those times in politics and society which are close knit behind us and and getting some sunnier days back because actually football is just a reflection of society as we all know and what's going on in world politics at the moment is the reason um, why things are going on in football that we don't like and that we don't want to see anymore and um, I think we should all work to a common goal because even if they're not as small as people like to think they're still a minority and the same football supporters are more and we need to be united together with the players we need to support players standing up for themselves like Raheem Sterling um, it doesn't matter what I think of him as a Liverpool supporter he has my full support when he does the things he did in the past year we shouldn't forget that and um, yeah let, let's just hope there's those which feel like darker times are over sooner rather than later. Definitely. Um, moving along now, we are recording obviously in January and January means transfer window. Um, already a few rumors and a few deals have gone through. Um, some expected, some not so expected. And we can always rely on a good transfer saga. Um, not often during the January window, it has to be said. But especially, uh, especially this uh, this year with Bruno Fernandez once again apparently signing for Manchester United. One day he is, one day he isn't. Um, one, it, it's Phil. The, the transfer window has become almost a, a separate form of entertainment from football. Sky Sports do round the clock coverage of it, and it just seems to get crazier every year, right? Uh, yes, yes, and um, uh, sometimes I'm a complicated guy, you know. I really, really don't support the system that's in place money-wise in football. But at the same time, I just love the transfer window and gossip, you know. And I, 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 I love to follow it. I love the drama. I love the, the last uh, turn of heart of a player choosing another team. I love um, all of it, uh, maybe except players protesting and not playing anymore or not training anymore which is i think a disgrace to the sport itself hello raheem sterling apart from that i love it i love the transfer window and january is not as as exciting as um the summer is but we already have seen a little a little saga in december which ended actually pretty early now in january and is so far the biggest deal of the window with uh, erling braut haaland we touched on that before going to Borussia Dortmund which is in my eyes the best choice he could make um, and he we will see I agree 100% we will see a very good player in two years so this is why all the people in Germany and in Europe should just calm down about the lot let him arrive you know let him play and he will be good but the the hype about youth about talent and about 
transfers when they go to bigger clubs or out of the sudden are the hottest prospect in the whole of Europe, which happens loads of times. We have seen it in last season's uh, second half with uh, Joao Felix. He was nobody before. And then out of the sudden, he was the hottest prospect in all of Europe. And Atletico Madrid were willing to pay 105 million euros for him at the tender age of 18 years old. I think that's insane. And it shows what hype and social media are doing, not only to society, but to football as well. And I hope for Erling Braut Haaland that he can live up to it because Andy Carroll can tell him a story how it can go the other way. And Andy Carroll has always, is my best example, had to fight or had to live with that price tag. Liverpool highly overpaid for him to Newcastle on the last day of the January window in 2011. It stuck with him and in my eyes he had some problems in his career because people always just ridiculed him because of that price tag. And the football player has no influence of his price tag whatsoever and what i don't like and this is going to be my last word on transfers is people talking about football players and what they cost like it's their fault or like they have to live up to it which is insane that the sum a, a club plays to another club to get one of their employees out of their contract actually because it's two companies at the end that has nothing to do with the employee. Why? Why do? Why do uh, football players have to have to in any kind of way live up to a price tag? It's ridiculous. It's not. It's not their fault. It's not their choice. And I think it's very unfair to loads of football players how the payment for their change of clubs is is being thrown at them during their careers. And I think a lot of players can't live up to expectations because of that because it just you know it mounts into pressure at the end and we don't need more pressure in football and yeah that will be my last word thank you phil davide um the transfer market is so crazy and a lot of a, a big part of the reason why the transfer market has become so crazy is because of certain super agents um we're going to name drop here mino raiola um one of your compatriots i i what what are they doing to the game they're driving prices up because they want more money and i think you as a fan of Serie A and italian football could maybe elaborate on this a little bit well agents are doing uh, their job uh, ultimately it's not their fault if uh, these prices are that they if they are allowed to do whatever they want we need uh, rules so we need to stop agents from uh, doing whatever they want Simple as that. It's impossible that Raiola, you named him, earned 10 million euros from the transfer of Delict from Ajax to Juve. 10 million euros for, for what? For, for deciding where a player would go? It's a nonsense. It's absolutely nonsense. But clubs now currently are slaves, are forced to do what agents want because uh, they have the power and this has to change this has to change for the for the good of football for the good of the sport that's it if a player just wants more money fine go i mean players the, the salary of the players uh, is determined by the market by their value but the salary of an agent what well, how is determined why an agent should earn uh, that much uh, I will never understand I, I refuse to understand why this happens and the worst thing is, is that more often than uh, than any time clubs uh, are now relying on uh, on agents and to, just to and they are supporting agents to do to do their business uh, it's the case of uh, unspoken case of uh, Juventus, they apparently to sign uh, Ronaldo last season, they had to sign uh, Joao Cancelo, which is, in my opinion, a very good uh, uh, fullback. The problem is that he did not fit 
in a in Allegri's way of playing. It was already almost clear he played a completely different uh, role with uh, with Spalletti the the previous season. In fact, he didn't play well for Juve. No surprise. But they had to sign him for forty euro million, which was an insane price tag, just to to be able to sign Ronaldo. Well, what's the point? If Juve had a great project and offered Ronaldo good money, I don't see why they had to offer so much money to another club and sign another player they didn't need to, to sign him. Yeah, well, What's the point? Definitely. And there's, there's the this other aspect. And you know that from Italy very well. And now we have seen it in England with first Chelsea for loads of years now and now with City. The loaning system being kind of misused and i'm trying to be diplomatic here there are players players being bought yes. that are never meant to play for those clubs there are like around 10 players at least that were never supposed to play for chelsea and never played for chelsea the most famous name maybe being torgan hazard who is now at um, borussia dortmund and was um, sold before from Chelsea to Borussia Mönchengladbach. And the same with, with City now. They had Antunia, this Mexican international, and now sold him to a Mexican side. Um, they bought him two years ago. He's actually very good. He, he scored a lot of goals at the Gold Cup as well. I think it was four goals and two assists. And they sold him to a Mexican side now, and he was never meant to play for City. What is going through a player's mind that signs for a big club and is excited and everything and, and then never plays for them because the system is, is so corrupt. And I mean, I have the feeling every second player in Serie A is loaned out. You know, this is this crazy it is. And I think in Italy, most of the loans make more sense than the ones Chelsea and City have done in the past. But there are a lot of daft loans as well and corrupt loans with players never supposed to play for clubs and i think this is just fraud and it needs to stop as well just to, to conclude on this i'd just like to say that we all have very strong opinions on transfers and how the game is going completely out of control and there's so much money involved but even if you look at this transfer window, you can still see... I still love to see teams pick up a bargain. Liverpool picked up uh, Minamino from Salzburg for like a seven and a half, eight million, I think it was. And you see you, you see the clubs with the real idea, a real... The clubs that... The, there are big clubs like Liverpool who aren't prepared to spend excessive amounts of money um, on players that will get them a lot of Instagram likes. <coughs> Ed Woodward, are you listening? Um, they, 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 they buy players that suit the, suit the squad and they often buy them for a very reasonable price. I mean, it's all relative. Eight million pounds is a lot of money. But well, I think it's still nice to see that um, not every transfer to a big club is, is with, with everything apart from football in mind. I'm thinking of the Pogba transfer with the social media impact and the commercial impact. And it's still nice to see uh, managers of, of bigger clubs who take the time to buy players that fit the system and not fit the, the club's social media policy. And we all love watching Sky Sports um, on the final day of the transfer window. To... Oh, transfer deadline day. <laughs> I love it. That's beautiful. Yeah. I have taken vacation days to stay home and watch Sky Haven't for the all? whole day. Yeah. And but that was that was in the in the glory days some years ago when we still had Jim White and others standing in front of training grounds reporting live Falcao was coming into United or whatever. Getting hit by sex toys from the fans that have gathered. Yes, that, that's that's what ended it. It was super hilarious, but actually that's the moment that's ended it. Because of that moment, we have no live coverage from training grounds anymore because we live in a very conservative society still, if you look at our media and government maybe. And because that moment happened on Sky and Millions saw it, that ended the live coverage of legends like Jim White um, and 
everybody maybe remembers the bubble copter at least in england he was actually not a spectacular player and was not going to a spectacular club but sky sports were able to make things spectacular sometimes that actually weren't so transfer deadline day um i miss it a lot it's not quite the same anymore definitely nothing beats oh and i want to add one thing to put all into perspective the bargain minamino for eight and a half million was in 1996 or seven i guess half of the world record fee paid by newcastle for alan shearer and that's maybe 25 years ago that just puts into perspective what we see as a bargain today in world football it's crazy absolutely crazy um we're going to stay on transfers now the game of top 11. and our top 11 for this week will be the top 11 transfers of all time we've been very ambitious um top 11 based on different categories uh significance the sheer amount of money for the transfer fee um and just historic transfers that have changed football as we know it um we're going to start with the most expensive transfer of all time uh davide tell us about neymar barcelona to psg for 222 million pounds 250 million dollars paid in 2017 by by Paris Saint-Germain to have uh, to sign Neymar from Barcelona. Yeah, that was insane. Uh, and uh, as Phil just said, it's uh, just uh, showing in in which times uh, we are currently living how football is becoming out of control now. Two hundred and twenty-five million pounds can can be. I don't know. Can can save a country from uh, from starvation? Can save an African country from starvation? And instead, they have been play, uh, paid for for a football player. As a fan, I'm, I'm not. I, ca- I cannot really say too much bad because I. I mean, I contribute to to this uh, to this to happen, but it's still uh, worth a mention to to understand what's happening. What I always like to put into perspective too is people are always so astonished when a new bigger fee in football is being paid, like if it's Ronaldo or Pogba or our Neymar. And I'm always thinking like, really, why are you surprised in a world where our governments pay billions for things that kill our race and our planet? <laughs> I'm not so surprised a football player costs a quarter of a billion and Neymar but that's a game changer to me it's the biggest game changer so far and it pushed average players into into figures that are being paid that 10 years ago were being paid for the best players in the world and crazy yeah <laughs> so Phil why not why not talk about players um, the man that Allah- I think it's crazier sorry Jack I think it's crazier to think that an average player like Bruno Fernandes can be worth uh, 60 million pounds rather than saying Neymar, one of the top it was three 90. players in the world. It was 90 uh, in the summer. If you compare... And now it dropped to 60. And the same yeah. story with Thomas Lemar. To me, good football player, very talented football player, not world class. Arsenal were ready to splash 92 million pounds on him on the January transfer deadline day of 2017, I guess it was, or 18. I think it was 18 already. Liverpool, I'm very glad, were only <laughs> were only willing to play 60 million at the time. And then in the <laughs> summer, he moved for 50 million to Atletico Madrid. Hasn't lived up to anything yet. And this is hype. And this is capitalism. And this is, I mean, people, open your eyes. It's your money. It can pay for so much good things and we burst it out on players because of hype that may never live up to expectations. I mean, sorry, you can call him world class on his day as much as you want because you won't do that for Mario Balotelli as well. But Paul Pogba for a world record fee 
I'm sorry, I'm sorry, was never one of the best players in the world, will never be one of the best players in the world, and is never ever worth that money. It was different with Ronaldo, it was different with Bale. Those players were like one of, at the peak of their game in Europe and by far the most astonishing player of the season. But it's getting out of hand. Really, it's getting out of hand. Joey Linton, 40 million, we talked about it. Joey f***ing Linton, 40 million. It's just crazy and it needs to stop and it needs to stop. Otherwise, we will lose football clubs. It will stop, it will stop when we lose the football clubs. That's, that's my, my idea. I don't think it will stop for, for the willingness of people to do the right thing. It will stop when uh, football clubs will go burst. Simple. And I disagree because small football clubs that are going bankrupt are like small companies. But the big football clubs, they're like, you know, Google, like Apple, you know, they're huge. And they won't go down so easily because if they're going almost bankrupt, then another billionaire turns up, sees the brand that is already there and will buy his shares and get the club back up because there's always so much in place already. But who wants to save Bury Football Club from those big billionaires? Nobody wants. And I think we will see a lot of clubs going down because if you look at society, it, it, it's just a mirror. Do they care about small business owners going down? No, they only care when Google or Apple have a problem. And this is the same with football. And this is why I'm saying sadly, very sadly, and I hope we as fans can fight it as much as we can. But I think we will lose football clubs in the next 10 years. Definitely. Um, let's, Phil, let's uh, talk about perhaps the most significant um, moment in football transfer history. 1995, um, John Mark Bosman, uh, the famous Belgian, giving power back to the players and the father of the free transfer. Um, yes, I think he was playing for Standard Liège at the time and his contract was up and but at that time still a fee had to be paid from the new club to the old club even if the contract was already ran out and it, this didn't make sense and players had like almost no power even if their contracts were up and um, Bosman went into court I think he went even to the highest court in Europe in Den Haag Mm -hmm. and he won and changed the game forever because players now you know letting the contracts run out and big transfer sagas of the last 10 years were only possible because this man stand up for himself and his peers to get justice because if a contract is up a contract is up and a player should be free to go and he did that and Till today, a free transfer is called the Bosman, which says it all. Definitely. Moving along now, um, it's my turn. Cristiano Ronaldo, 2009, 80 million pound from United to Madrid. Um, can you ever say 80 million pounds is an acceptable amount to pay for a football player? But at the time, I think Ronaldo, along with Messi, was the best player in the world. Um, I think it, Real Madrid only want the best and most marketable players and Ronaldo was certainly that. So if you look at what Ronaldo gave to Madrid and what he'd already given to United, I think £80 million looks like, I don't want to say a bargain, but I mean, can you imagine how much uh, a 21-year-old Ronaldo would go for um, these days? I think that was a hugely significant um transfer in the in the, in the history of European football because Ronaldo scored so many goals enabled Real Madrid to win La Liga twice um I think it's five Champions Leagues and really took them to the next level again in Europe and for United it signified the start of a decline of which we're seeing the results today um United replaced Ronaldo with a uh, Gabriel Obertan Oh my god. And uh, <laughs> Antonio Valencia, who's a great pro, but he's no replacement for Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, and the less said about that, the better from my perspective. 
Um, moving along, back to Davide. Thierry Henry, 1998. Um, Monaco to Juventus? Wasn't it Juventus, Monaco to, to, Juventus. to Arsenal? Was the Juventus to Arsenal? Yeah. I think the the significant, the most significant one was uh, from uh, Juventus to to Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, I was really amazed in the in the six months uh, Henry spent in Italy. Why he was playing so bad? It was probably the the worst uh, f up of uh, Ancelotti's career. How come such a huge player, such a great player, who already showed uh, with Monaco that he could have been uh, one of the best pro players uh, in European football could play so bad. Juventus spent a lot of money on uh, on him and sold him uh, for half of the price, I think, to Arsenal after just six months. Then he started playing uh, again to his level and he really brought Arsenal to the next level, to a level they never reached before. He he was part of the Invincibles with uh, Beckham, uh, sorry, Bergkamp, Ljungberg. Yeah, sorry, oh, my bad. <laughs> with uh, Bergkamp, uh, Ljungberg and all the other players. Uh, and that team of Wenger, made by Wenger could ha couldn't have been possible without uh, Thierry Henry. He now has a statue in front of the stadium, says it all. And he's just had his... Uh... Yeah. All-time foreign player goal-scorer record in the Premier League, overtaken by Sergio Aguero. By Aguero! F*** off. <laughs> and don't you dare cut that out, Phil. <laughs> I try and host this podcast to the best of my ability, but it's very difficult when my fellow podcasters are constantly trying to wind me up. I know what you're trying to do. And... Ich habe fertig, as Trapattoni would say. <laughs> Um, moving along now to uh, Phil um, Keegan, Kevin Keegan from Liverpool to Hearts Fall. I think it was 1981. Correct me if I'm wrong. Definitely wrong because um, just after our uh, first European Cup win in 1977, that he uh, went to Hamburg, and we replaced him with uh, Kenny Daglish, who scored then the winning goal in 78 in the final. But back to Kevin. He was like the biggest pop star of the late 70s in British football. Everybody wanted to be like Kevin. He scored goals galore for Liverpool and for England to, to just show you how much he meant and how big his pop star status was at the time. Um, in his last game at Anfield, there was a huge um, sending off, waving goodbye, and there was a big Auf Wiedersehen Kevin on the scoreboard and actually a helicopter landed on the pitch to take the glorious Kevin Keegan um, away to Hamburg. And that just shows you in 1977 or 78, no, 1977, that's, uh, that's a huge show in football. It was a significant, very significant actually change of clubs not for only Keegan and not for Liverpool because they found King Kenny but actually for Hamburg which kick-started their rivalry at least sporting rivalry in the start of the 80s with Bayern as they were able to compete more and more and won several Bundesliga titles with even Franz Beckenbauer playing for Hamburg in his latter years of his career before joining uh, Cosmos New York so yeah definitely a big one definitely um moving along now davide talk to us about the the dutch contingent arriving in milan um in the late 80s we had frank reinkard marco van basten and rud hullet yeah that was a game changer for italian football because uh silvio berlusconi just uh bought ac and uh well i don't like i never liked the politician but I have to admit that Silvio Berlusconi has a great, great knowledge of football. He knows uh, what to do. And uh, he signed uh, three spectacular players, very different between, uh, between each other, but extremely, extremely talented and extremely important for the project of football uh, designed by him and Arrigo Sacchi. And this led to AC winning uh, everything in the 
in the late 80s uh, and uh, early 90s. No, I mean, import, extremely important uh, signings for them because, yeah, because of the results they they achieved and because they represented a project. Thank you, Davide. Um, I guess it's my turn. My turn now. Uh, the Real Madrid Galacticos, um, which started with the election of Fiorentino Perez as Real Madrid president, who promised the world and delivered the world, but perhaps not the trophies. Um, first signing Luis Figo in 2000 um, from arch rivals Barcelona. We all know about that one. Um, Zinedine Zidane, David Beckham, the most marketable footballer in the world at the time. Um, and it was a crazy era for Real Madrid. They had all of these good players and they didn't really live up to expectations on the field. Um, Ronaldo as well, obviously, how can I forget? Um, they didn't really live up to expectations on the field. Didn't win, um, didn't win all that much apart from the, the 2002 Champions League with that famous Zidane goal. Um, but in terms of football becoming, football becoming an industry, becoming a market, I think that was a real turning point in terms of signing the best players in the world, even if they didn't necessarily function as a team. Um, moving along now, Phil, it's your turn. I want you to talk to us about Leandro Damayao, who never actually moved to Tottenham, but who we thought was going to move to Tottenham for the last 29 years. Uh, yeah, actually, as you said, it, it, it felt like um, ages. And I think it's the biggest transfer saga of recent um, British or English football history that we maybe know because it's a transfer that never happened. He was linked with Spurs, I think, over, and now let's not exaggerate again, five, six transfer windows, which is just astonishing. And he never arrived. He's still in Brazil. He's playing for Internacional, or at least he played for Internacional, if I'm wrong. Um, Eric is... I'm pretty sure happy to correct me um, in the next episode. So, yeah, uh, the transfer that never was Leandro Damiao. Definitely. It's not the first transfer saga we had. Wesley Schneider moving to Manchester United for 17 years in a row, and that never happened either. Uh, okay, my turn. I'm going to talk about quite possibly the most bizarre transfer of all time. 2004, the Brazilian legend Socrates... Um, who we all know as being a legendary um, Brazilian footballer, signed um, for a little-known um, Northern England club called Garforth Town, who were in, I believe, the ninth division of English football, the ninth tier of English football. He made just one appearance, um, but he allowed Garforth Town to set their record attendance um, for his game. And it's because um, Garforth Town have a scout who had privileged links to Brazil and obviously a lot of connections that allowed him to talk to players like Socrates. Um, and it was basically a massive marketing stunt. I think Cafu was in talks to go there as well. I'm not sure if he did end up playing a game. But it was, anyway, it was just a crazy scene. This tiny stadium packed out to see the Brazilian legend that is Socrates. Uh, just two more to go and I believe they're both mine. Um... <laughs> The famous um, Shakhtar Donetsk to Tottenham transfer of Willian, now doing so well of Chelsea, of course. Um, he was supposed to sign for Tottenham in 2013 um, until he was kidnapped. Basically, we can call it kidnapped because he was bundled into a car at Heathrow Airport after flying in from Brazil to seal his transfer to Tottenham. Bundled into a car by um, henchmen of Roman Abramovich and taken to sign for Chelsea... Um, it's it, we don't know exactly what happened, but basically Tottenham were not very happy about this. Um, and Willian has gone on to have a, a, a quite a decent time at Chelsea since. The whole chant they have for him at Chelsea is about nothing but snapping him up from Tottenham. And the end goes like, he hates Tottenham, he hates Tottenham, he hates Tottenham. So, yeah. That I think it gives you an impression how how important uh, the snap up was in, in in football. But I remember another one, um, infamous snap up, and I think um, it w Jack can maybe tell us a little bit more about uh, Dimi Berbatov moving to Manchester United. Indeed, um, as as far as I'm aware, Berbatov was at Tottenham, and uh, 
he was talking to Manchester City, if I'm not mistaken. Is that what you're referring to, Phil? Yes. Because Man City had had just been taken over by um, by um, the Sheikh and the royal family from the Sheikh Mansour. Sheikh Mansour from the UAE, and um, they thought they clinched a deal. They wanted to buy, bring in like a star player to make everyone aware that oh, now we have money, um, and it was going to be Dimitar Berbatov. Until Sir Alex Ferguson effectively kidnapped Berbatov and said, no, you're signing for us. Um, and Berbatov ended up enjoying his time at United, um, getting to two Champions League finals and uh, winning the Premier League and scoring a great overhead kick um, against Liverpool. If I remember, and a hat-trick against Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah, if yeah, I uh, yeah, yeah. remember correctly. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I knew that you had to add that. And City... Um, <laughs> and uh, Berbatov was... Uh, Part of the best uh, uh, football transfer market day of my life. I remember driving to work, uh, listening to the, the famous uh, Italian Radio Sportiva, 24 hours of football. That's it. Beautiful. I love it. And uh, hearing that Berbatov was uh, about to fly from Manchester to Florence. Then uh, I arrived at work, uh, turned my car off. Had my working morning. During lunch break, uh, I switched the radio on and uh, Berbatov was uh, going to Juve. Then uh, after lunch break, uh, I switched the radio off back again. Left work, turned the radio on, Berbatov signed for Fulham. That was amazing. That was fantastic. <laughs> Indeed. And of course, in 2008... Uh, Berbatov signed for United so City in a massive panic um, went to sign Robinho instead um, who thought he was signing for Chelsea I just wanted to say <laughs> yes I just wanted to add that that made the day even crazier that there was another snap up it was it was unbelievable Robinho thought he was signing for Chelsea and then you know City was so desperate to get a big name player through the door uh, to show their ambition that they just snapped up Robinho taking him um but it was not a snap up in a let's say shady way like United or maybe um uh, other clubs have done uh, it was um they just highly overpaid uh, I think they had a deal in place of 32 million for Rubinho and City just said, ah, come on, we give you 40. Uh, and that was it. Real Madrid said, oh, thank you very much. As I'm sure Eric will, Eric will testify, I think Rubinho was perhaps more motivated by money than playing football um, at the highest level, shall we say. We've just got one more to do now. Um, the, the controversy, we cannot talk about transfers without mentioning... Um, Carlos Tevez and Javier Mascherano moving from Corinthians to West Ham in 2007. Um, followers of South American football knew all about Tevez and Mascherano, of course. Um, but it was just an unbelievable transfer, and uh, two transfers, in fact, in so many ways. Um, and opened up a whole lot of debate about third-party ownership. Um, I know the transfer was orchestrated by the guy whose surname I cannot pronounce, uh, Kia Yorabshan. Yeah, Yorabshan. Um, he, I think he owned a third of their rights and someone else owned it. It's a, it's a big problem with South American players. Um, it was the same with Falcao, I believe, when he moved to Porto. Um, but there was a whole controversy about his image rights and um, Tevez and Mascherano ended up signing for West Ham. And Tevez, in particular, um, helped West Ham avoid relegation. Um, famously scoring at Old Trafford on the last day of the 2006-2007 season, and which, at the expense of Sheffield United, who were relegated to the Championship, um, much to the disagreement of a furious Neil Warnock, and this case was only settled, um, Phil, was it two or three years ago? when? Um, I think it was 2015 when they settled for, uh, for a payment. Yeah. And it's it's just crazy how football transfers can be so shady and dark and complicated um, because clearly it wasn't exactly legal how the transfer happened and um, Kia Yurapshan's role in it um, was definitely brought into question and Sheffield United can definitely feel vindicated that they got at least a payment um, from West Ham 
but they unfortunately didn't manage to avoid relegation. Crazy stuff. Funny thing is, go ahead. Funny thing is that compensation didn't bring Sheffield back to the Premier League, but Chris Wilder did. So even more a reason to pat him on the back. Good on you, Chris. De definitely, indeed. Um, that's all we got time for for today. Thank you to Left Terrace for your questions. We will answer them on the next uh, podcast. We've run out of time, unfortunately, today. Um, thank you to Phil for joining us. It's been it's good to be back. And uh, yeah, thank you, Phil. Cheers, mate. Pleasure as always. Um, looking forward to next week already. Davide, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jarkas. Thank you, Phil, and thank you, listeners. <laughs> what was that? Why are you laughing? Because... <laughs> we couldn't hear you for at least, and now we won't edit that as well because it's, because <laughs> it's just now part of us, you know? technical difficulties now it's just part of game of thrones whatever um no we couldn't hear you for at least five seconds that's why we laughed okay. um thanks guys for joining us today don't forget to uh, participate in uh, the vote for tweet of the year and team of the year which we will post on all of our social media um when the new episode is released in the coming days thanks for listening let's hope for more great football moments this decade and in the year 2020 goodbye from us at game of thrones for today Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. The Football, the football Podcast. Podcast.